0: Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Chaim Eisenberg. I'm a proud grandchild of Deborah Eisenberg, a.k.a. My Oma, I'm sitting here right next to me. Very, very excited. Um, the thought behind this next audio recording um, was... Was born of the fact that observing myoma over the years, there was, you know, there's a lot of things that you see when you observe your grandparents. But one thing that I've observed about myoma and my poppy, but primarily myoma, is how is just how thoughtful she was about a lot of parenting and grandparenting topics, and that you know, it wasn't things just didn't come out of happenstance or you know, just pulled out from this, you know, from the you know, from the hip, but rather, um, but rather, there was really a lot of thought that was dedicated to the things that that she did and the choices that. She made and the decisions that she uh, ended up carrying out. Can with... you
1: tell your audience that I'm rolling my eyes? Yes,
0: of course. I mean, you just told it for me, so it's fine. Um, so, and, and, you know, that being said, I thought that it would be worthwhile, both for myself, but also just for the remainder of the family, to be able to have. Um, to be able to have a record where you're able to sort of speak, um, about, about these various topics. Now, now the questions that I'll be asking as we go through this, these are all family source questions, meaning that these are things that your children and grandchildren have been wanting to ask you for a long time. And maybe anonymous or not anonymous? <laughs> they were, they were not anonymous. There was one anonymous one. Um, That's the one I
1: eat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um and so so, so meaning this is an opportunity for, you know, the entire family to you know to ask you Oma the, the burning questions that that questions that they've had over time and to just sort of hear where's that coming from? All right. Um and to um, so for your grandchildren to be able to hear sort of how, how you thought about this over time, and just you know how you go about it now. So with that said, I'm going to move on already to uh, uh, to the first question. Before you answer this first question, you know may- maybe you could give a little introduction to your, you know to yourself uh, just in general, so that you know people know how you would want to describe yourself to everyone. And I'll start off with the first question. And that is that why why do you believe that I, I'm your grandchild, uh, had asked you to do this project with me? Um, I'd be very interested to hear. I, for for me as I just outlined, I know exactly why I wanted to do this project with you because I very much wanted to hear what you had to say about a lot of topics, but I'm curious as to why you thought that I'd asked you to do this project with me.
1: So that I could embarrass myself in public. <laughs> that would be number one. Um, number two, I have a feeling that you ascribe to me a certain... Um, I don't know, pre-existing thoughts or, or thoughts that may, I may or may not have. I think most, sometimes I'm thoughtful, I agree. Sometimes it's gut, sometimes it's instinctual, and sometimes it's just really bad, bad <laughs> ideas. So I guess you asked me for this because you vote or you think on the side of the, the good and the thoughtful, and I managed to uh, hide the bad, bad, bad pretty well.
0: But if if I understand what you're saying, if I understood correctly, what you're saying is that you do agree, though, with um, with my thought that that your parenting throughout all these years has been a thoughtful process. And and you know you're you know you're into your 70s right now, and you have you know seven kids and all married to seven in-law children a lot of grandchildren so so you're admitting in a way that you think that even though you might have made some mistakes along the way the thoughts and actions that you had done all these years did there was a lot of thought that was poured into those decisions
1: so i'm not sure i could exactly describe it that way i think maybe most parenting at the beginning is hit or miss You know, you hope you don't drop them too often. Oops, sorry kids who I dropped.
0: Do you want to say who you dropped throughout the years or leave that for a different time?
1: I think you'll see so much in, you'll read so much into that that I think I better not go into that. But few of you have been. Um, I think, so I think parenting at the beginning is hit or miss. I think that as you go along, and if you have a lot of kids you get to sometimes write some rights and just make different mistakes I think that I think every parent really tries to be as good a parent as they can be and I think part of that is thinking about it on an ongoing basis and not just having one methodology I guess also I think um, being willing to reassess and saying things aren't working quite as well as I had hoped for or I thought they might, is not a bad thing. I think Poppy and I, Daddy and I, uh, did that. We would kind of, at the end of the day, say, hmm, not working out as well as we thought, and, and sometimes we sought outside help, and sometimes we regrouped one of the things that i did believe in from early on is not a unified front i always felt and i can't remember if my parents had a unified front certainly not all the time and and i I don't remember i don't think yakish parents even though my father was american he was still yakish thought about those things however where i had friends i guess whose parents had such a unified front It was almost too big and too strong and too powerful for a little kid, even a medium size or a big kid. And so I think that um, parents voicing different opinion, not only good cop, bad cop, but voicing different opinions in front of the kids is no bad thing.
0: You you, you, touched, you, t- you touched on a bunch of topics that I plan on bringing up, you know, later on in this recording, you know, such as, you know, parenting mistakes or making mistakes for our parenthood. So
1: many. <laughs> um, and Just also, ask your aunts and uncles. <laughs> uh,
0: and, and you spoke about also the importance in changing methodology uh, methodologies with time also and that, you know, it's not, you know, not staying constant and also, you know, observing your own parents. You touched on a few things that we'll, we'll get to later and, and I don't, you know, I don't want to jump the gun next yet and I, I, I want to, you know, stay within the flow of the question that we have. With everyone, um, so which leads me to the next question. That is that you know, for me, growing up, you know, I've always seen you as a mother and as a grandmother, and it's something that you know is kind of was you know. Very obvious to me for a lot of years, but I guess the question that I want to ask is, is that you know, did you always know that you had wanted to become a parent? Was parenting something that had spoken to you from a young age? And uh, depending on what that answer is, also, and like I had mentioned earlier, you have you know seven children, and they're married to you know seven other people, and there are many grandchildren in the high thirties. Uh, so you know, did you know that you always wanted to become a parent, and did you know also that you wanted to have a large family?
1: So I don't think I have many grandchildren in their high thirties. Maybe.
0: I, I meant, I, I meant over, over 30 grand, meaning high oh, 30s. Oh, in in got the it, total got it.
1: Got it, got it, got it. So, I'm not sure in my generation or when I grew up, we really thought about what people think about. Do I want to have children? Do I not want to have children? I remember meeting somebody once. Actually, they lived in our building who said he was a psychiatrist, I don't remember what she did, and they had one child, and they looked at us coming out with our brood, probably helter-skelter one day. Most had socks and shoes on, maybe some didn't. And they said, how could you have so many children? How can you possibly love more than one child? And I looked at them, her, them, both of them, as if they were out of their head, that they were crazy. And we continued on in our Helter Skelter way. I don't think, going back to, I don't think in the years that I grew up, one thought about the choice of living a life um, independently and actualizing and not having children to take away from your time and your thinking and your career and stuff like that. I don't think people thought about that. I think sometimes things happened. there wasn't fertility and there wasn't any of that then and some people ended up not having children but it was never something that people discussed or, or would ask or anything like that and I think part of that goes to what I think is the job description in families parents have a job description grandparents have a job description kids have a job description um parent's job description is I have to feed you, I have to clothe you, I have to love you. I don't have to. I want to feed you. I want to clothe you. I want to love you. I want to empower you. I want to support you. I want to help you. Um, And your job as a kid is go to school, you know, have have fun, fall, get up, you know, let me fix the boo-boo, And then your job in high school is to begin to see greater vistas, um, to look around and see things, maybe not yet understand them, but to kind of note. And then as you get older, your job is then to complete school, start thinking about a direction in terms of um, profession, career, not um, dating, Finding someone to love you unconditionally, having a family—we all have jobs at different stages of our life. Does that make any sense?
0: Uh, I think that makes sense. There was one thing you said though in the middle there that that I'd maybe like to, to touch on. You 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 sort of mentioned that you know things were a little different maybe back then when you you were sort of thinking of having a family. You didn't take all these considerations you know into account, whether that be you know like work-life balance or, you know, if you want to have a career and all of that. So it, I, I think if I sort of caught on correctly that you think that that notion has maybe changed nowadays and that people, people view that differently now. Do, do you agree with that or did I, did, did I misread what
1: you were trying to say? The work-life balance thing. So one thing about women, I do think, is um, cats might have nine lives, but we have many more. And there are different times in our life that we can do different things, and we can't do everything all at the same time. And there are times that you can't have children, and there are times that you really can't have children anymore, and um, yeah, it's more important today because two incomes are important, and, and one does have to find a way To work and have a family and it's in those ways it's harder it's harder I think the role of the male is different though papi always did help me but differently like when um, when Michael was little and even Chafira and basically they saw him from Friday to Friday so if there was a parent around it was me but so I don't think that notion is different and it, it just, I don't think it was articulated in the same way, and it wasn't top of the conversation as a discussion the way it is today. Though I did finish college, I did get a master's, I did work on and off in different things, but primarily I was a, uh, whatever it was called then, a homemaker, a house mother, uh, I was more of a full-time mother, which reminds me of a story. We were at Lincoln Square at some dinner. Don't remember what it was. There were 12 people. They had oval tables, and there were 12 people at every table. So it was six couples. And we were with people that we, we knew, some we grew up with, some we knew less well. And there was a guy who I think has to remain nameless. I think he passed away, whatever, who was at the other side of the table. And he said... Me, what do you do? I think I had three kids at the time. And I said, essentially, I stay home and take care of the kids. And then he said, so, but what do you do? And then, very much out loud across the table, I said, ah, what do I do? I darn socks, and to feel fulfilled, I rip them and darn them again. And that was the end of that conversation. That would be Chaim chuckling in the background
0: i had mentioned in the in the beginning when we had started that something that i that i always uh, thought to be very astounding is how much is how much thought you really dedicated to parenting to grandparenting um, and and again you you dedicated that thought preemptively and it wasn't sort of something that you know that happened with time so and, and with that no, i no like
1: i said hit
0: or miss it, it, hit or miss but but, but again you know there the, there was the, there was a thought process um, and the next question that i would like to ask with that is that where do you believe that the genesis of your parenting philosophy came from and it's it's kind it's kind of a two-sided question one is is you know what you know do you remember sort of why you thought that parenting was something that, that really demanded a thought process in advance? That's number one. And number two also is that can you, can you maybe point to as to what, some of, what the genesis is of some of the core elements um, in your parenting philosophy?
1: Well, I think that's really sweet of you, Chaim, that you really think <laughs> I'm such a deep thinker. Um, I, have, I, have, I have no idea, I guess. I grew up at a time I've never really thought about this I grew up at a time that many parents were Holocaust survivors or or escapees it was a generation that I don't think their parents or grandparents thought through parenting you know dr. Spock was around when I was having kids and there was another guy I can't remember the name but So there were some parenting books out. I do remember reading one and thinking it was totally cuckoo and totally not doable.
0: Why was it cuckoo?
1: I'm trying to think what it was called. I can't recall, but it didn't seem to me realistic with a bunch of kids, with um, being from, with also kind of... Being true to yourself. It just seemed a little bit too by the book. I can remember the name of it. I don't think I have it anymore. I might have chucked it when we moved. I'm gonna okay. to try to think about it. P P, P- E P E T maybe? We I have can look to look it up. It up. Later. I have to look it up. P E T like a pet. You would know why I wouldn't like it then. <laughs> but I have to I have to see if it, that was it or if it was another one. I can't exactly remember. So I don't know but I think I think it back to the trial and error, I think if something isn't going well and you're honest enough to say something isn't going well, there are many things that don't go well in parenting that you try to fix and you can't fix. Oh, I'll get to fixing later That's another little one of my prob my issues that I had to learn how to deal with but so I think that in the trial and error, and you think something's not going so well, you try to see if you can fix it. But like I just said, you 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 try to fix things, and not everything is fixable, which is really frustrating. Well, to me as a to me as a person or my personality, who tries and likes to fix, I guess I'm going to tell the other part of it sooner rather than later. Who always tries to fix it has been frustrating disappointing and perhaps um, maybe lessons learned I don't know but upsetting that I have not been able to fix repair things but now I'll just take a segue and as you guys all know I try to fix I like to fix I'd like to think that I can fix things and um, And in my trying to fix things sometimes, I have learned the hard way that I have worsened the situation. And I had a situation with one of my children, who again shall remain nameless, where I was trying to fix and I was trying to fix. And I finally, from an outside source, had to learn that you can't fix sometimes, you just have to listen. And that was such an eye-opener to me. I couldn't believe that. Something that simple, I totally blew. And so I had to learn Had to go, hmm, hmm, I hear you. And that was definitely not something that came along with my gene pool, or I guess my personality. And that was something I had to learn um, later in life. Um, which was something I had to really work on.
0: So if I could just touch on one thing that that you spoke about right now, it it sounds like you made a certain switch with this child that shall remain uh, or shall remain nameless, uh, that you made some sort of switch where you realized where um, you needed to stop trying to to fix, but rather trying to listen. And, And do you think that that, Change happened because you thought that in order to fix, you needed to listen, and that was that was the first stage in listening. Or you just you just thought that maybe that by projecting so much that you just want to fix. That sometimes you don't you, you don't listen to what your child is trying to say, and therefore it's important to just listen regardless to what the outcome may be. If I can maybe understand a little deeper what you were trying to say there.
1: Well, that's a big question with probably a little answer. So to be fair and to be honest, it was the child. Themselves that had to tell me listen stop trying to fix so that came out loud and clear and I guess I did learn something from that I did learn to listen a little bit better don't think I don't still try to fix but in some cases you have to listen ah, and you're not the one you're not the one who can do the fixing. And so the only role you can play is the listening role and not the fixing role. And that, I think, was maybe hard for me. But as I've moved into grandparenthood, I'm glad I had that lesson while I was still a parent. Because in grandparenthood, you um, You know, I describe what's grandparenthood, you buy a bag of popcorn and you go into the bleachers. What's great grandparenthood, you buy two bags of popcorn and you go higher up in the bleachers. (laughs) But I think it was a good start for grandparenthood because it's not my job to fix. It's my job, perhaps, to help the listening and see if I can be mechaven people or my kids or my grandchildren or ever to get fixed or to think about fixing but I don't think I'm the fixer and so I guess that 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 was good at that point because it, it kind of showed me that there's another possibility to be there for your kids and just listening without fixing. That was big for me that wasn't little that was big.
0: Well, you you touched on grandparenting and you know one of the later episodes is going to be plenty on grandparenting so so oh, don't don't <laughs> so don't don't divulge too many secrets yet about about that topic and we are going to get there. Um so a lot of who we are as, you know, as individuals and ultimately as parents is is probably uh, in the beginning at least shaped the most by how we observed our parents uh, you know, how we observed our parents evolving over time and seeing the decisions that they made and, and you know, just um, j- just how they went about parenthood in general. And, and my next question is, is uh, what do you think you learned to do and maybe even more importantly, what not to do by observing your own parents uh, growing up?
1: So that's not so easy, but let's see what we can do with that. First of all, my parents were different. Uh, somebody described them as two sides of the same coin. I'm not sure I would describe them that way, um, but they were different. Opa uh, Charlie was really American, and Oma Els was really not. I mentioned it in the Hesper, But more than that, she didn't aspire to be American and to look, to sound, to act, and, and so she marched to the beat of her own drummer, and I think oh and and oh else really was the driver of that marching to the beat of their own drummer um, for the family she kind of took Opa along and and he was game to come because he found it much more intriguing and more interesting than everybody else on the block but she was the one who really drove and she had insight and she had she had a certain confidence, and I think that confidence, um, Opa had a little bit of bluster, but Oma had the confidence. If I can say that, it sounds derogatory a little bit about Opa, but it wasn't really. It was Oma who had the confidence of the being from and still being able to do things. Opa didn't grow up that way, and so he gained Or he uh, reflected that confidence so um, so I think and I can speak about it almost all my siblings too but stay away from that for the time being that I think they imparted I don't think they gave I think it was somehow imparted it's a better term the confidence To feel okay, feel okay about Yiddishkeit, feel okay about our brand of Yiddishkeit. Though ours changed a bit, as when I married Daddy and the learning and stuff like that was more ingrained. And I will go. I can. I can talk about that too. um, About how papi always felt, or Daddy and papi always felt that um, that. Le- learning and kids seeing a parent learn uh, gave a certain tone to the um, religious feeling of a family and and I think that that's true they didn't get that from me that is for sure that would be daddy Poppy who did that um, so I think I think imparted onto, me was a certain confidence I didn't feel I had to defend uh, where I was religiously where the things that we did also we were lucky I had I had what on what al malis you know generations of people who were religious who were out in the world it was an amazing model to think about and when I look about friend at our friends today Many of them don't have that or didn't have that. And and, 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 and I said in the Hesper. well, I didn't really, but we, we did not feel that Chagim and being from the way we were was onerous. It wasn't hard. Now, true, Oma and Opa had the wherewithal to make it easy, but it wasn't about that part of it. And I'm sure that contributed but it, you know, Chagim were fun. Um, they, it's not fun, they were festive. They, there was another aura than just going to shul and davening, or just getting it really right. And again, as I said in the Hesped, you know, Pesach cleaning wasn't spring cleaning. And we learned, or I took away from that, a confidence now. Is that the same confidence that the question you asked was really about parenting and not necessarily about religiosity and stuff like that? I think it goes to home. So home is about an environment, and an environment in the home has a few elements to it. So that goes to the confidence, um, I think, religiously, and which is a big deal because it has to do with... Um, kitchen and, and uh, Shabbat and Chag and clothing. Ah, we can get to clothing soon, too, and all that kind of stuff. Now, what I didn't like, my parents, um, for assorted reasons, some good, some not so good, had favorites on and off. And I didn't like that. And if you ask me what I didn't like, I didn't like that. And um, and I think I've worked hard. I don't know if I've succeeded. You have to ask your parents, grandparents. But we have tried, Daddy and I, Poppy and I, not to have favorites. Not it's not about not showing favoritism, but really not to have favorites. And you know, well. Uh, just like we have good parts and bad parts, our children have better qualities and worse qualities. But I really don't think, you know, we have a favorite. And when the kids used to say, Oh, I'm your favorite, I'm your favorite. And I used to say, You are my favorite child whose name is whatever. And you can ask my kids, you can ask your parents, but we don't think we have favorites.
0: Could you, so there's a very clear answer to the question. I appreciate that. But could you maybe speak as to why you think having favorites is, is maybe may a wrong the thing not to do? Thing? It, it, it is a not good thing? Is it a not good thing? And maybe potentially what are some of the outcomes that could happen as a result of having favoritism and, and why you chose to mention that just now?
1: Uh, so I think intuitively it just sounds wrong. Why would you have, you know, I mean, why would it be a good thing to have favorite children? That just sounds really intuitively wrong. What are the bad parts? It's bad for the other children. It's probably bad for that child. If I think back, that even my parents' favorites in certain ways did not serve them well. You know, maybe in some ways it did, but in some ways it absolutely didn't serve them well. And I think I would much prefer to risk on the side of no favorites and how that turns out rather than favorites and seeing how that turns out on either side of the equation.
0: Oh my! But you mentioned beforehand a little bit about. Did that
1: answer your question? Did
0: an, or not? It did, did answer my question? Uh, you, you mentioned beforehand. you spoke a little bit about uh, uh, religiosity, and you know, you, you, and Papia, uh, and then the rest of your family are all you know Orthodox Jews, um, and 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 it seems like you you raised a home which which showcased unwavering religious commitment. Um, and and it appears in the meantime, and ho- hopefully it'll stay so that that your that your children and the spouses they ended up choosing decided to remain within that path of, of religious commitment. And my next question is that, what do you believe that you and Poppy have done over the years to uh, help or encourage your ch- your children? You know, remain on that religious path and, and and on that religious path. And and also, do do you th- did, did you and Poppy ever have a discussion as to what Maybe some of the religious boundaries are, the, did you set them actively for your children or was it something that changed over time? But but did you set any boundaries when it came to religious commitment as well?
1: There are lots and lots of parts to those that question. And most of them, the answer is Um Did we do anything? I don't know, you have to ask the kids, did we do anything? I think there were certain things... Um, that we, we made arbitrary lines, not because that was the line, but rather is it smart to have a line? So we picked them, I don't know, when girls were younger, it was sleeves and hems, even when you couldn't get to sleeves and hems, and they weren't in style or not in style. Today it seems like a lesser deal. In those days it was arbitrary picked it not because necessarily that was the measure but it was a measure of differentiating being a little bit different it never bothered us me for sure not but it never bothered either of us being different actually um, I celebrated it we celebrated it being different was was good for us and for our family we weren't really like anybody we're a little different this way we were a little different that way we didn't do things that other people did do we did do things that other people didn't do and actually I think that that was very um positive in our um children upbringings which sounds a little bit crazy but I think actually it was true what was the other parts of the question
0: you 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 answered you most of the parts of the question but but one thing that i would maybe ask you to to dive in a little deeper on is that the, the, the main sort of the, the central part of the question was is that how do so how do children take all of the elements that you just outlined and and then actively choose to remain within that path that you have chosen? You've you, you spoken about a few decisions, you know, that that you had made and, and you know, how, how you know, kind of doing things differently was something that, you know, you were also fine with and you celebrated that, but but what, what do you think about those decisions or those courses of action um, and, you know, ultimately encourage your children to remain within that framework?
1: It's a hard question to answer. I, I don't think the kids were angry, maybe a little angry about some of the stuff, but in time they actually uh, were mafnim it. But um, I think being different—I don't think the kids felt being different was a bad thing. Being a little bit was 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 not really a bad thing. It was something that they were proud of. In a in an interesting kind of a way, they also did not feel that they had to go with the herds, or they had they had to do what everything was doing, or if you if if it was hard to find something, that we um, we had to do what everybody else was doing. Part of the fact that I used to go shopping without the kids, and we had our Uh, fashion shows Friday night part of it was that is that we shouldn't the kids shouldn't like come across all this stuff that they really wanted that we didn't really want them to to get so I used to go sounds crazy today it sounds maybe a little crazy I used to go and buy lots of different things but all within the range of okay that you know we thought of And we used to bring them home. I used to bring them home. Had bags and bags in our bedroom. And Friday night, Poppy was in his bed, I was in my bed, and we had a fashion show. And everybody tried on all their different new things, and we decided what to keep. And they all got new things, and they were all happy with their new things, but um, they weren't tempted for things that Why get into an argument about something that didn't have to be? So we made the fashion show really nice. And I remember when Ben became engaged, or married, I can't remember, and we had our Friday night fashion show, and everybody finished in the kitchen and marched into the bedroom for the fashion show. He didn't know where everybody was going. Then he came along, plopped on the bed, and he was part of the fashion show. And it was something we did all the time. And it wasn't, it never felt, I don't think anybody felt shortchanged by it, which is interesting.
0: You mentioned beforehand that, um, you know, certain things about your children not feeling like they needed to follow the herd. and, And I couldn't ask for a better segue into my next question because my guess is that there's probably not a single other parent in the world who has thought this way and definitely not shared it with their children. And candidly, this is actually the the question that I have anticipated asking you most. And that is that I've heard you mention multiple times that you always prayed for mediocre children. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and my question is what exactly is child mediocrity and why do you believe that? Or maybe, uh, um, as a result of who do you believe in that uh, philosophy?
1: So I don't really have mediocre children. However, the, you asked me the genesis of certain things. And I guess the genesis of this um, was some of, the, of my classmates in high school. My kids know this. So I guess my grandchildren and great-grandchildren don't know this. But they were stars in my high school class um the a students and they were really stars on a lot of different levels and then with time I noticed that they failed life which is a, a big statement but whatever I defined at different stages of my life as life and they they didn't do that and so I don't know there were probably a thousand reasons that that went to that uh, situation for each one of them basically two that I'm thinking about but there were more but there were two specifically and I'm sure there were lots of other circumstances that went into kind of how their lives played out but I I guess in my um, naivete kind of just ascribed it to stars and 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 their brilliance or whatever and so I kind of said I wanted mediocre children because I thought they would have a better chance at life. And it became a line. But it was, it was, that was the trigger, that I saw those stars fail life. And I thought succeeding at life was much more important than being stars in school or in high school or whatever that was about. And that is where that came from. now course i didn't want my kids to be the mediocre but mediocre in school and successful at life to me is not mediocre to me is a much better balance than than the other and that's where it comes from
0: so so you mentioned that you, you know just from your observations as a child but they Oh wait a
1: moment i can tell you how it went how it went how it all started we were um, at parent teachers conference when Michael was in kindergarten or nursery or some you know silly stage of life like that maybe it was first grade and the teacher was telling us that he was really good at that and really good at this and that I mean first grade so I said I don't want to break your bubble you know I don't want to say anything but I'm a big believer in mediocrity she keeled over hmm daddy poppy keeled over I was still sitting and that's where it all started from so that was the first time that i articulated my love of mediocrity or my pride in mediocrity
0: first of all i'm very happy you cut me off in the middle of my previous question because this would not be a complete uh my interview if 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 i wasn't cut off at one point so thank you for that but um uh so It seems like you made a very natural correlation in your head between, you know, the stars and the aces that you observed through middle school and high school. And then, you know, their ultimate, you know, and again, we we didn't get into specifics about what exactly failure meant. But meaning you saw that they were aces and stars in high school and then they ended up failing at life. And you sort of made this correlation that, you know, that stars uh, end up failing at life. So
1: wait a moment. So I'm going to interrupt you again. I have to kind of think about that a minute. It has to do, I guess, with criteria. And if I want to be fair, criteria for stardom or ki- criteria for success is different, probably, at different stages of life. So like I said earlier, that everybody has a job in a family, kids have to go to school. So maybe criteria—maybe I wasn't being fair, and maybe it just served my belief system, but the criteria in, in, in being a star in high school is not necessarily the same criteria as being a star in in life going forward, you know, after you get out of school. You know, they, they, they talk a lot about people who have learning disabilities and things like that. Uh, my sister Judy used to say, you just have to get them out of high school to 18, standing with a good sense of themselves, because after that, um, kids can make choices and can choose to study what they want pursue something and then you go f- to your strength and you pursue the things that you know, you have interest you have passion and um, so I guess maybe I prejudged which I guess goes to your judging question in any event but I prejudged or I or I did not like identify or examine analyze the criteria at different stages of life, oops, a little late for that.
0: Uh, th- thank you for that clarification, but but uh, <laughs> uh, the the, the, que- the question I have still stands, and that is that. Um, so, so you know, you, you sort of spoke a little more about you know how you know how you observed it back in the day. Maybe it wasn't fair, etc. But 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 the question that I have is that. You know it's the reverse question of why you believe in child mediocrity and that is that wh- what do you wh- what do you believe, I don't believe exactly. <laughs> uh, and that and that is that wh- why do you believe so maybe a little <laughs> why do you believe that those children that maybe had sort of you know those those stars assigned to them uh, ended up failing in life according to how you saw what, what do you think about that process sort of brought them to that place that, that made you believe you know deeply enough that you that you did not want to, you know, ascribe that type of title to your child.
1: Honestly, nothing. I don't think I really thought that deeply about it. It just kind of wafted in front of me and it was like a a head a headlight in front of me. and probably it had to do with so, so, so many other things. Uh, maybe that's where they shined and they didn't shine elsewhere. Maybe they were really academic and just academic. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they were really just plain smarter than I was. But for whatever reason, and maybe it was a defense mechanism, could be, that that kind of, you know, was a, a guiding North Star the other thing is that, because I don't think I thought deeply about it, but it could be that they were excelling, 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 and then maybe something happened that they didn't excel at. I mean, I happen to know they didn't. Their marriages both failed; and had issue with kids. Maybe, maybe when you're pushed that far, maybe really when you're pushed that far, at one point it's a crash and burn. And, and some of my children, one particularly who shall remain nameless, complained that we did not push enough. And I don't feel that way. I really don't feel that way. I don't think that we needed to push more. I think we enabled, I think we supported, but push? absolutely opposed to that now my parents didn't push in a really not pushing way however um i i don't think pushing would be something that i if i had to redo it all today i don't think i would push more and maybe the other one was a crash and burn situation and maybe that was my takeaway that push that i I assumed maybe they were pushed because that generation of parents did because they believed education was going to be the key to success in, you know, the new world, America. And maybe it was that, if I think about it now, in retrospect. But, and it could have been that my takeaway was, watch them crash and burn, or they did. So I'm not sure, actually.
0: It it almost sounds like that there's this delicate balance between you know pushing your children to achieve something or supporting them to achieve it and one can one right one, one enables children to achieve and the other sort of sets up an expectation for achievements
1: and which which is interesting because if there's an expectation and the pushing and the expectation there has to be disappointment along the road it just Expectation doesn't come without disappointment, certainly from a parent to a child. And so I can't say I didn't, we didn't have expectations of our children, but not in that pushing way. Um, Ultimately, children don't want to disappoint parents. If I reflect um, upon what I said, I think it's the job of the parent to kind of give kids a feeling of competence, that we know that they're competent, and we know that they're capable. And I really think that, I don't know if I succeeded, but that was the message we hope to give, that we really believe, I think we've said it over time to our kids, we really believe that... You're competent and you're capable of doing what you choose to do. And it turns out different people chose to do different things, but all with, you know, drive and energy. And I think with the backbone of their knowing that if they put their all into it, or <laughs> some of their all into it, they will have, you know, they they will be most competent and most capable. It's about that we believe that that our kids should believe in themselves, in their own abilities. And we often said, uh, yeah, I often we often said that we're so proud of them, but they, but we also said that they should be proud of themselves. And I think. The way I describe that we had a certain amount of gov i we, we me and my siblings received from our parents about um life in certain ways and religion. I really feel that we tried to give our kids that gov that to believe in themselves and their own and their abilities
0: oma oh, well, we you, you spoke beforehand about you know um about parenting decisions and changing them and revising them, and and I think that also in the beginning of the podcast, you know, you, you spoke about how you know some elements of parenting are just you know bad bad decisions, um, and and I think that that uh, human nature is prone to making mistakes, and and parenting is no is no exception. You know, that parenting is a tri- is sort of a trial and error experience, and and you make mistakes whenever you go through your parent, you know, your parenting uh, uh, experiences. So my next question is, is that what parenting mistake do you think that you have made in the past or or a parenting regret uh, that you have? And if you had the option to go back in time and change it, you know, how would you do so?
1: Look, parenting is for sure trial by error. And you make a mistake, you try to fix it. You make the same mistake again, probably you try to fix it. Sometimes you make the same mistake many times because then you say, ah, that must be a problem I have. So I would say two things, and and I'm not sure that if I relived it, uh, I would do better. I would be I would do better because you make the best decision you can, or you. I don't. It's not even sometimes a decision. Your actions reflect the time. Um, it is re- your actions reflect real time circumstances, and real time influences and triggers, and I think that probably personalities, no matter what you'd like to be, you'd like to be better, um, it doesn't always work. So two examples. So one, I don't know if I said this previously, but in my nature as a parent or as a mother, you want to fix things. And in my nature, I like the idea of fixing. And it was a hard lesson for me to learn that you can't always fix. and. There's a very good example um, of more than once, but I can think of one, that uh, one of the kids was having issues or crisis, and I tried to fix and I tried to fix and I tried to fix, and it wasn't working. And what I had to learn, or I had to be told, is that stop fixing, just listen. And listening was what I needed to be doing and just hearing it without being without fixing it. And that was hard for me. And I'm sure I slipped back into that many times, even as a parent of older children and grandchildren, because I think as a mother you want to make everything better. So that would be one. And another thing is when you have a big family, different times, different kids needs more need more um, attention. And and sometimes that, uh, like in every family, the others, um, I don't know what the right word is, suffer, end up being sacrificed, um, get the short end of the of the stick, don't get the attention or the equal fairness that they deserve, and I think much much more, and I think at different times different circumstances required of us as parents or um, triggered a response from us as parents that one kid got more attention, more this, more that, or demanded, or I don't know, and others didn't, but I'm not quite sure that you can only be sorry about it and hope that the damage wasn't great, but I'm not sure If the same circumstances would come up at the same time, yes, of course, with perspective, I would say, ah, I lived, you know, and I would try to do differently. But I think in that exact moment, in real time, I wonder if our skills as parents would, you know, would be better, Um, maybe now, having lived all these years, but... You don't get to live the years when you're living it in real time.
0: Oh my, I asked you earlier what about your parenting you learned. Yeah, you, know, you learned from your own parents, and, and I think that that question uh, touches a little bit on you sort of you know nature versus nurture, and and we're we're really impacted, and the decisions we make are are deeply impacted just by the environment that we grew up in, or the, you know the the just you know the nurture environment, and. It, In your past, uh, you and Poppy had decided to move your entire family to Israel in the early 90s. Um, And I'm assuming that whenever you, you know, uproot your entire family and move to a new destination, uh, obviously there's some impact on the family. But my guess is that there's probably also some sort of impact on the parenting level. And my next question is that what do you feel um, changed about your parenting as a result of moving countries, you know, generally and moving to Israel specifically?
1: So I think when you stay where you were, or where you begin, you know that it's comfortable, and you're, you know, you're you're on the um, on the express train, or you're on the local, and you sometimes make stops along the way, but you kind of know where you're going, and there's a certain security in that. When you make a life change like what we did. I remember, I think we took the kids to the movie um, just before we came, I think for the year. Not when we moved, but when we came for the year. Uh, It was called Parenthood, Parenting, something like that. And it was talked about the two different types of parents, the ones who go on the slow carousel, and the ones who choose the roller coaster, the highs and the lows of the roller coaster. And when we left the movie, I was crying a little bit, or maybe a lot of bit, because I was scared. But we said we were choosing the roller coaster ride. And I think with the roller coaster ride, there are ups and downs. And as a parent, you're fearful. You don't know who is going to impact which way. Is it a good decision? Um, for the family, for the parents, for the couple, for the family structure, for the future, who, a million, a million questions. Batahora uh, was the right decision for our family. And I'm very glad that we made the decision so our kids didn't have to, or many, most of our kids didn't have to make the decision independently. Uh, so in answer to your question, did we become different parents? So first of all, if you ask our older children when they came into the house and saw the house and the larger TV than they had when they grew up and a number of other things that I can't quite enumerate or remember, they said to the younger group, what happened to our parents? Where are our parents? And the younger kids answered quite aptly, eat your hearts out. These are our parents. And so I guess there was a change. There's always a change. You're a little bit older. Maybe you're a little bit wiser. Maybe you're a little bit more tired. Maybe. And then what we had coupled with um, being older and maybe wiser, maybe not, was this major move kind of at that time too. And adapting to a new place, a new culture, um, acclimating a family kids independently within the group. And I'm sure our parenting changed a bit, though I think our core was still our core, and our North Star was still our North Star. However, we, 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 were, we were, you know, immigrants in a foreign land. What did we know? And if you ask the kids, probably not too much. And so we had to adapt. So I'm sure our parenting changed a little bit, but some of it had to do with um, aging, or um, or and I think also a certain confidence comes with if you raise your early children, and you know you didn't drop them too often, and you didn't beat them up too often, and you didn't you know want to hang yourself by your toenails too often. So you come with a certain amount of confidence as parenting continues.
0: Oh, so Massey, you spoke about. You, know, you just mentioned the fact that after you had moved to Israel, so there was sort of this disparity that had happened between you know the the older children who sort of knew their parents from their time in the U.S. as opposed to you know the younger faction of the family who knew their parents when they moved to Israel. You sort of you know you had mentioned how you know, some of the older kids you know looked at that and said you know what did you do to our parents or where are our parents? Uh, may, maybe you could speak. Uh, that that I, I think that's just you know that's anecdotal and just an example, but, but maybe you could speak a little bit more about sometimes what happens in larger families when maybe parents do evolve a little bit from what they were with their older children as they go on in the years towards their younger children.
1: So, first of all, some of the major changes had to do with a twenty one inch TV and a twenty four inch TV. So we don't and the and the twenty one inch TV was so deep and a huge box that it didn't fit anywhere anymore. So we don't have to get carried away with the major change. That was like the big, big difference. Um, what's the difference? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're not juggling as much because some kids are out of the house and some kids are not. But, you know, there are a million books on parenting adult children, too. You know, you don't you don't give up parenting just because your kids move out, get married, have families. It's a different kind of parenting. But it's still parenting. You don't abdicate the role of parent. I, we don't think... That one abdicates the role of parenting just because you have a an adult child it might be a little bit different, and there has to be more consensus. Or you can, but I think as a parent you have a right or an obligation to say what you think. Whether the ch- the adult child decides to listen or doesn't is another thing. But having discourse and give and take, I think, is really really important. And and. We have tried. I don't know if we've succeeded all the time, but we have certainly tried to continue having parent conversations with our adult children. Now, the younger children, you asked, how is it different? Um, Maybe on certain things you're a little more lax. On the other hand, the younger kids end up with responsibilities towards the next generation that the the earlier, the older kids didn't have. And the younger generation ends up with nieces and nephews that are floating around that they have to take into account that the older children didn't even have to think about. Um, so they become, in a way, a sandwich generation in a funny kind of a way. So maybe they end up with other kinds of perks. I don't know, more airspace. Um, but on the whole, I think we really tried, I hope successfully, to create a feeling of one family, older kids who did or didn't live at home, younger kids who were growing up with siblings that did or didn't live at home, but they were all siblings, and of the same parents, of the same generation, and that generation um, is, is a different generation from the next generation or from the previous generation. And somehow I felt that the lines were important too.
0: I've heard you mention a lot of times that over the years you like to reinvent yourself and you hopped from one business to another business from here to there And I don't think you'd uh, uh, Characterize yourself as a career woman because you know sometimes you're working sometimes you spent more time at home And I think we've spoken about that in the past that you didn't you never considered yourself a career woman But but you know you you definitely were some sort of an entrepreneur before that You know the word even you know is really used in the same way that it is today um, And my next question is: Is that maybe, maybe you can touch a little bit on about what it's like to be. Um a parent who you know who kind of works, but you know, even maybe a little more primarily, what it's like to be a mother that works, and sort of how, uh, how, what are some practical steps that you could take towards that uh, work-life or work-family balance to try and you know maintain uh, those two passions? I don't know if to you know really categorize both of them as passions because you know your family is really your life, and I don't know if you'd consider your work to be that way, or maybe yes. I'd love to hear your opinion, but you know, but what 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 are some steps that you could talk about? Um, on that balance.
1: So that's a little bit of a um, tough question. So you said that um, I like to reinvent myself. I don't think I liked to reinvent myself. I think by force of circumstances, I did reinvent myself because I guess I had this driving need to, I don't know, fill in the blank. So so I often think back. I, I don't know that I have much insight to, to provide here. I can kind of give you hindsight, and maybe that will be insight for somebody, but I'm not sure. So uh, when we got married, I was in a master's program in speech and language. And my parents were never big on working... Um, mothers. my We used to make fun of my father. He liked his girls barefoot and pregnant, which was really a very feminist kind of a thought. However, um, I don't... Uh, if I I, the, I said the word feminism now, so let me just deal with that a minute. I never view myself as a feminist because I don't feel that it's a badge that I need to wear. I've said many times to my girls that... I think a women's role is so important and so well-defined um, halachically, and within a functioning family that to say I'm a feminist and I have to do this and that never really spoke to me, number one. Number two, I was never encouraged to work. It was a different time. Most of the women that I know did not work. Um, like the ones a few years above me and my age. And then starting my age and a little bit younger, people did go more out into the workplace and had family, you know, and maybe had some kids. Seven was definitely not a number that, uh, that people were used to. And so... So I did on and off speech, little bits, here and there, hours, some hours here, and I would stop with each pregnancy because I was sick at the beginning and then I had a section at the end, and and then I was nursing, and it, it just didn't work. And since my mother was not a big proponent, I did not get support either in babysitting. I remember one day I had this, I don't know, job two days a week in the Bronx, in a nursing home uh, doing aphasia therapy. And it was snowing, and my babysitter couldn't come, and I called Oma and asked her if she could help me. And I don't remember how many kids I had, three or four. And she said, absolutely not, and you shouldn't go, and this and that. And I really don't know to this day who I got to babysit. It might have been the bus driver from across the street. However, I went just to show myself that I could. And it was crazy. But I did it, so and and it made absolutely no sense. But you know, you do things that don't always make sense. The um, so I did that. Then when the twins were born, afterwards, for some oh, we went to London. I think Arlene and John were having a bar mitzvah, and we went to a museum, and I saw these interesting in the museum gift shop these poster frames. I said that's cool. I don't think I ever saw them in America. So we went. No, so I came home, and we. I looked at different uh, museum shops, and I didn't see them. So I went back to England. I don't remember how old the girls were. It must have been a year or two. I don't remember anymore. And I went to the factory. I think in North England, someplace. Took a train in Hops Country because I remember we were riding in the train. Poppy was with me, and it smelled like beer hops, so it must have been in that area. And I made a deal with them, and I imported those poster frames and started distributing them in the States. And in um, in the baby's room, which was also Shafrira's room, which was also the den, the room in the middle of the house in, in the apartment in New York, I carved out an office space for myself, stuck in a fax machine, and I was in business. And when whoever was cleaning was vacuuming, I used to say to people, oh, I'm in an industrial zone and there's construction outside. Anyway, also in those days, you had to just send things by fax. Oh, you didn't get the fax? I'll resend the fax. But nothing was immediate like it is today. Anyway, I sold to a lot of catalog companies and stuff like that. And I did that for a while. And Poppy, um, the original Poppy, used to do the packaging for me. And he would—he was the factory or the um, the uh, storage facility, and I used to get the orders, and he used to pack them and ship them. It was quite the integrated business. In any event, from there I went back to speech, and I did um, early intervention. And quite honestly, I don't think I was the best speech therapist there ever was, and and it wasn't not my passion. I think I did okay, but there were some gifted ones, and I don't think I was one of them. Where it did help me is when my kids had speech issues, and I couldn't do it all alone because they would kind of put their leg over the side of the couch and say, Ma, what do you want from me now? So I took them to a speech therapist, but I accelerated the process at home because I knew what I was doing, and each of them got rid of their whatever it was, this, this, that, or the other. Within three months, we were done each time, so I guess that was good. Anyway, fast forward, before we moved to Israel, I decided I'd like to do something else. Don't remember who I talked about it with, but the idea of presentation training, and I wasn't even sure what that was, using my speech, um, might be a niche market because it kind of didn't exist here. So my 25th anniversary, I spent in um, New Orleans at a conference on um, accent reduction. It was a two or three day conference before we moved to Israel. I was the only person who got roses at the conference because it was our 25th anniversary. And then I did a very, very short something at Columbia in professional development, like a seminar, a few day seminar. And I made a new soup and came here and, and, and maybe this, that was the beginning of my career. We were here six months. It was too early to really start. But I sat with somebody who kind of gave me my first client. And um, as I say, my first client paid me not to come back, and then I got better. And I would say what I did here was more of a career. However, I never did all open that office because either I was afraid to or the idea of having an office in Tel Aviv and being responsible for... Um, people working for me and still raising a family and just having moved here and Klita um, or having to be someplace at eight o'clock every morning, I could not figure that out with what I wanted for my family. So I stayed an independent consultant. It's one of those could have, would have, should have. I don't know the answer. But in the meantime, I built, you know, what I perceive to have been what I think is called a solopreneur.
0: So, Oma, you just mentioned how um, you know you never opened that Tel Aviv office because you know you had you had home commitments and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that maybe sometimes, you know, making career decisions uh, based on what your family situation is could maybe sometimes bring to some resentment towards. I, I think resentment is a strong word, but maybe some resentment towards your family or towards your kids because you end up having to give up on certain career aspirations in order to to maintain that family. Um, have you felt that way, or you know, do you think that that's a valid way to think about it? Or I'm just curious to hear what you what you think. Potentially on what it's like to have to give up on certain career aspirations because you have to raise a family.
1: So, I think the have to, have to family, have to work. I don't think I would say the have to that way. The have to work happens today more than before. The way you need two incomes, so that might be a reality of life. The question is how you go about how you go about it. And at which times you go about it differently, and the balancing is different times you're 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 forced to do to give more import and more time and more energy to different things. So there are times if your kid is sick, then things are fine, kind of clear. If I always I used to say that working and family really works except when it doesn't. And it doesn't work so well uh, when your kid is sick, when the Chagim are here, when you have a family event, it just doesn't. So then your priorities kind of have to shift. Now sometimes one thing has to take second place because you have a commitment that you cannot give up. And sometimes the other takes front and center because it screams louder. So whichever one screams louder at a specific time is the one that you need to give attention to or more of your attention to. It's never 50-50. It is some days one needs more and some days the other. And so, yes, when I created, when I started this career choice or this piece or this stage of my professional life i had fewer children at home but i also you know i didn't have a lot of clients the first few years and so i never worked i I never worked every day so i really can't speak to those of my kids who work every day so i may have worked every day but not you know eight hours a day so for me this balance worked remember i also moved here in my 40s and without experience of working full-time before that so i had to kind of figure out my own balance my what worked for me without giving up more than i wanted to give up on either side and i think it's been a struggle sometimes you know i I don't want to give up work even to this day because I think it's really good for me intellectually and interest-wise, and I don't want to give up on the time I invest in family. So baking cookies is important to me. Being able to host is really important to me. So I have to figure out. So I guess it is that everybody has to come to their own balance that makes sense to them at different times of their life. So I started this with. I'm not sure. I have insight. I only have hindsight. So in hindsight, would I have structured it differently? I don't know. Circumstance, um, kids, moving, opportunity, um, drive, ambition, family. I, I I don't know if I'm smarter in hindsight. Frankly, I'm not sure. It's only hindsight. I don't think it has more smarts involved with it.
0: Oh, my! I think I, th- I think it's it's really hard to know. You know, you spoke about hindsight just now. It's hard to know. It's hard to know even with hindsight whether you did a good parenting job or not. There, it, it, there's just you know, there's no there's no real scale that tells you whether you did a good job or not. Um, but I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that one way to sort of be able to know on a subjective le- level whether you did a good job or not is when you look at your kids and you see whether they decided to follow in, not entirely in your footsteps, but they haven't totally detached themselves from you or from your ways in that. In a way, they're not um, they're not replicas of you, but, but they subscribe to some of those core beliefs that we spoke about a lot. So... My next question to you is is that what do you think is the best way to pass on, you know, whether that be core beliefs or values uh, to your kids besides only just leading by example?
1: That's a real hard question, and I don't think I have an answer for it. You know, we, 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 as parents, we hope our kids will take our good and leave behind our bad. Or, you know, they'll channel are what they perceived to be positive things they felt and and de channel the things that they that that they didn't and that's how every family is just a tiny bit different than the other and tiny bit different or a lot different than than the parent. So we are very, very very proud of all our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren and and i think we see a spark of the co- continuity or the or the wanting to be part of this um family's you know belief system and 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 that's very heartening and very flattering and and very amazing so i don't have i don't think there's a recipe here and and uh, the only thing is modeling and consistency i guess in in what you're modeling poppy always believed that learning and and kids seeing a parent learning is is a big deal well they didn't see me doing a lot of learning so i'm glad they saw him doing a lot of learning but i think consistency in the modeling is the best you can do as a parent is and 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 the most you can hope for is that that modeling was um, was you know was integ- integrated and was seen as something positive uh, by your kids.
0: So, so, so you said that you know if I can boil everything that you just said down to one word, it's it's consistency. But maybe I'd like to sort of ask the reverse question: Is that you know what do you think are some of? Uh, the dangers in in inconsistent parenting what could that maybe lead to that you th- that you think that you know being consistent is
1: is really important to passing on values to your kids so now yeah. consistent doesn't sound quite as good as it sounded 4 minutes ago so i don't know if i said it previously or i didn't say it yet or whatever but and and my kids know i didn't believe in a unified front in that kind of very strong uh, Daddy, Poppy, and I agree on everything in front of the kids. A, it wasn't true. And B, I always felt that that's just too big a thing for kids to have to see, hear, look up to, or anything like that. So if that, if, if um, the perception of the board consistency goes to that, so then I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree with that because I really think that disagreement and different opinions, and sometimes even good cop bad cop, um, works. But um, consistent in back again to that anchor and the North Star, you know, it, we kind of still believe in the things we believed in earlier in our life. Um, or uh, you know, with Derek eretz and, and um, fun and halacha and 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 uh, laughing and good food and 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 kosher and uh, you know all that kind of stuff that that I hold together. So that was our core belief. And we, and as I said earlier, which I got from, we got from our parents, was the confidence to believe that we could believe in something like that, and, and then, the North Star, is again the that's I guess the consistency, you know, you go a little this way, a little that way, you come around the corner, you're coming through the chimney again, back door, but that you kind of know where you want to get to.
0: Oh, I'm about to move on to my last question uh, for today and we, we, we covered a lot of topics and I really appreciate your time and your insight and your wisdom as always. Uh, last question of the day, if there is one piece of advice the paramount piece of parenting advice that you could think of out of all of the things that we just discussed or maybe something we didn't discuss, if you could pinpoint and choose just you know one point that you'd like to pass on, what would that be?
1: Well, thanks Chaim for that easy question. Um, So there's never one. So let me see if I can come up with uh, titles. One is, I think I said it as a joke once, but I think it's true that we tried not to take parenting for grade. We took it for pass-fail because the grade thing was never going to work well for us. Um, And to try to keep your sense of humor in spite of days that there's nothing to laugh about. Now I can't say I lived definitely the past fail I lived by but the sense of humor that you know it's something to aspire to not something that you can achieve and I think parenting is a gift I really do I think being a parent is is, is a gift not to be uh, dallied with and I think that some days we're better parents some days we're less good parents some days we say, oh my God, was that me? And um, I don't know if that gives you any insight, but that is the real, the real answer. And I think also that you can't take your temperature all day long, and you can't like have performance metrics on, ongoing. You have to a little bit go with your gut, and I really believe that in my with, in my family, your instincts are good, your gut is good, and I think that makes you real. And you know, to use all the bywords of today, the buzzwords of today, authentic. With you know, and I think I think being authentic actually is really a very good thing for kids to see. They see that you don't always get it right. They see that you know, some days you don't think, oh, I am a parent, what is my job today? But that you just kind of go, go with the flow. And you have your ups and downs, and they have their ups and downs. And I think keeping that perspective and, and trusting your instinct is really important.
0: Oman, thank you again very much for your time and for your insight and for your wisdom. Um, again, like I said at the beginning, this is a three-part po- podcast. First part that you know we, we just now uh, concluded with is about parenting. The next one is going to be about uh, the marriage phase and in law children, which I am looking forward to greatly. And by looking at your face, I can see that you're looking forward to it as well.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: So thank you very much, and I'll see you next time.
1: Okey-dokes.